Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to see so many visitors, as we said, uh, welcome. And it's also great to see my church family. So uh, last week, as Joe said, we started this sermon series called HVAC Manuals. Um, it's an episodic series where, uh, like Joe said, we'll hear from different leaders in the church. And I will get to my manual uh, in a few minutes. Uh, but first, a little bit of background. Um, when I was a young Christian, and what I mean by that is when I was first pursuing a relationship with God, uh, I ended up in Washington, D.C. for a week serving several different homeless ministries. Um, I ate a lot of grits that week, um, and I served a lot of grits, too. Um, but besides that, I remember a particular night uh, spent doing our daily devotionals as a group with the other high schoolers and leaders on the trip. And um, we were sitting in a D.C. park, a smaller one. I just remember it being kind of close to dusk, sitting in the grass around with the other folks on the trip. Um, and this is the verse that we, that we studied. Dad, would you read it? Do you mind reading it for us? Yeah. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That night uh, in that D.C. park, faith got real for me. Um, always. Continually. In all circumstances. Um, for some reason, my mind really latched on to this verse, and um, it made me realize that this new life that I had chosen was just that. Uh, it was a life to live always, um, not just on weekends or holidays, but to do all the time. And I clearly remember thinking, wow, um, you're really meant to give everything to this. And looking back now, I can see how that ever-clever Holy Spirit uh, was planting a seed. Um, many years later, I think it was in our first year of marriage, um, my husband Zach gifted me this set of frames. Uh, they're made from banana leaves, and they're pretty neat pieces. And so I saved them for the perfect use. And probably a few years after that, I finally realized that I should use them to display a Bible verse in our home. And I immediately thought of this one. So a few more years later after that, I finally took the time to, you know, carefully write all the words in the frames. Um, so it says, you know, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So that's pretty cool, right? That's nice. Yeah, not really. Because you know what? As you can see, I never mounted them in any way <laughs> that would enable you to hang them in our house. And um, I, in a lame attempt to finish what I started, I... I have them set up on another frame in, that's hanging in our dining room. And the words are so small and the frame is so high, you can't even read what the verse says in the first place. So, and even all during this time, I wasn't exactly aces at practicing what I was so poorly <laughs> trying to preach. Um, but thankfully, thankfully, um, faith is not for people who have it all together. Um, but for those who need to be made new every day, all day, over and over, again and again. Um, and more thankfully still, the Spirit will keep working on us until we slowly embody truths like this in our heart, like this verse in our heart, 
um, we won't need frames <laughs> to remind us. They literally become part of our habits, virtue, and character. Um, this year, the Spirit continued her work by nearly throwing this book in my face. Um, it actually was a dear friend uh, that I was having coffee with in a bookstore uh, who threw it at me. But um, we were just casually walking through the aisles, catching up, and she saw this book on the shelf, and she just sighed contentedly. She's like, oh, I just love this book, don't you? And, you know, I replied kind of flatly, well, I've never read it. And my usually very soft-spoken, mild-mannered friend, like, ripped it off the shelf and, like, thrust it in my direction and said, you need to buy this book tonight. And so I did. <laughs> um, and I read it right away. And through this book, uh, The Hiding Place, uh, the Spirit and I have really started doing the dirty work of um, actually living these words. Um, I'm finally remembering to practice these truths. Um, slowly and surely, I'm striving to do God's will in Christ Jesus. Um, I'm trying to remember to be joyful always, you know, at least sometimes. Pray continually when I remember, and give thanks in all circumstances when I'm not already stomping my feet. Um, and here's why. Um, this book, like I said, entitled The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom, is the true story of two Dutch women who repeatedly find joy, keep praying, and give thanks. And no matter what life has for them, they find the light and they stand, hopefully, in it. Um, whether they're living peacefully with their parents in their childhood home, which they did until their 50s, um, or whether they're actively and dangerously um, working as part of the anti-Nazi underground during World War II, or surviving absolutely deplorable conditions in prison and na Nazi work camps, um, they find joy, they keep praying, and they give thanks. The book starts off when Corey is very young. She's five or six years old, and it paints a lovely picture of her home life in Holland as a watchmaker's daughter. It quickly becomes clear that Corey's family are devout Christians, reading the Bible every morning and evening together and praying continually. Um, but they're known in their town by their love, their kind service in their watch store, and their welcoming faces. The Baye, as their home is known, is always bustling. And over the years, Corey lives with her parents, uh, her two sisters, brother, and three elderly aunts. At the start of the war, um, the Baye, their home, becomes the center for like solidarity and information during this trying time. And then it also quickly becomes part of uh, the large anti-Nazi underground regime. So there's people um, and resources constantly coming in and out of this home. And Corey and her family have people stay for various amounts of time. They help in finding safe places for others. Um, they keep illicit radios and phones. They hide food ration cards. And they eventually build the hiding place um, as the raids become more frequent. The, the picture on the front of your bulletin this morning is just that. That is the um, picture of the hiding place, the secret room uh, that was actually part of Corey's room 
that the Ten Booms, actually, they had a commission. I mean, there were people that specialized in building uh, secret rooms like this during that time, because unfortunately, we need experts in that field. Um, so that's what that picture is. The, the Ten Boom House, the Bay Hay, still stands um, in Holland, and you can go visit it. Um, in an interview that I saw with Corey, she says, at one point, she had over 30 boys and 20 girls from all parts of Holland reporting to her, who she sent off on various errands, usually under the cover of dark uh, and disguise by that point. Um, they would help escort Jews to safer housing. Uh, they would take messages to other members of the underground, uh, distribute resources, whatever Corey needed them to do. And uh, remember, she was doing this in her 50s, and... and her father was in his 80s, and they had spent the first part of their lives just living peacefully as watchmakers. And so um, things changed, and they acted accordingly. But one fateful night, German soldiers raided the Bay Hay, and they find stolen ration cards, and they arrest Corey, her sister Betsy, um, their father, and some of the other family that happened to be there that night. Um, and they... They were escorted off the premises, leaving four Jews alone and literally in the dark in the hiding place, um, but they, they were safe. After many months in a traditional prison, which is where they were sent first, um, Betsy and Corey are transported to a work camp where they just wait and wait for days to be placed. They get shipped to this place and then they just sit there. Um, they sleep in the mud, on blanket, blankets, crawling with bugs, just waiting to find out what's going to happen next. And... Um, Finally, it seems that they will actually be released for good, um, go home back to Holland, um, but then they realize that's not the case at all. Uh, this is Corey talking. I seized Betsy's arm as the command to march came again, more to steady myself than her. Surely such cruelty was too much to grasp, too much to bear. Oh, Heavenly Father, carry it for me. We followed the officer down a wide street, lined with barracks on either side, and halted at one of the gray, featureless sheds. It was the end of yet another long day of standing, waiting, and hoping, and we had simply arrived in the main camp. The barracks appeared almost identical with the one we had left this morning, except that this one was furnished with bunks, as well as tables and benches, but yet we were still not allowed to sit. There was a last wait while the matron, with maddening deliberateness, checked off our documents against a list. Betsy, I wailed, how long will it take? Perhaps a long, long time. Perhaps many years. But what better way could there be to spend our lives? I turned to stare at her. Whatever are you talking about? These young women, that girl back at the bunkers, Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. She went on, almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice to a whisper, while I slowly took in the fact that she was talking about our guards. I glanced at the matron sitting at the desk ahead of us. I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. And I wondered, not for the first time, what sort of person she was, 
this sister of mine, what kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on the all too solid earth. A few months later in the story, Betsy and Corey are moved again. Um, they're herded like animals in, in trains packed beyond belief, no water, no toilets, to Germany, to Ravensbrück, a camp whose sign hailed a skull and crossbones. We followed our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two. Fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere above us, the tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, the guard pointed to a second tier in the center of a large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, and then crawl across three other straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we would share with how many? The deck above us was too close to let us sit up. We lay back struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. We could hear the other women who had arrived with us finding their places. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle, and edged our way to a patch of light. Oh, here, and another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, He's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning. Where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight and drew the Bible from its pouch. It, it was in First Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving prison. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is, uh, comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient. Go on, go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes, um, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey, that's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about our new barracks. I stared at her. And then around me in the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I asked, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Yes, oh yes, Lord, thank you. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that we didn't have an inspection, that we have your word with us. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the crowding here. Since we're packed so close, that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for the fleas. This was too much, Betsy. There's no way even God could make me grateful for a flea. 
give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. And there it is again. My verse, I will selfishly call it. After reading these, this section, this general section in the book, um, the whole story came together for me. Um, the hiding place need not only refer to that secret room in Corey's house at the Bay A, but to the safest place of all. The comfort of deep relational faith in a loving God, his sacrificial son, and the spirit they sent to lead us the rest of the way. And here I am. You simply must read or reread this book. Um, there is more truth and wisdom in its pages to write a dozen sermons. We could spend the summer with Corey, um, and I encourage you to spend the summer with Corey. Uh, yeah, their circumstances are extreme. But we all have darkness in our lives. We all desperately need the light. Uh, we can all relate to feeling imprisoned in a world of suffering like ours. Hopeless or trapped, confused, fearful. Um, but despite our troubles, big and small, we, like Betsy and Corey Ten Boom, can choose God's will for our lives. But it's hard. It can sometimes feel awkward or even unusual. It takes practice. Heck, it took me 18 years to just even start to comprehend this verse. Um, my hope is that Corey's story will give you a head start. And so back to where it started for me. Would someone else please read my verse? church in Thessalonica was written by the Apostle Paul, a Jewish convert to Christianity, who spent his life uh, sharing what he knew about Jesus to the Gentiles. This verse comes really close to the end of the book, and some commentaries joke that maybe Paul was running out of ink or papyrus, and he just had to like hurry and get some last thoughts down. Um, Be joyful, pray, give thanks. Uh, he says, and he doesn't really elaborate on them too much. He just gives the command. That's easy, right? You know, you, you do these things, right? He doesn't need to elaborate. He could have ended his letter, brush your teeth, wash your hands, change your underwear, done, 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 easy. Um, but the Christian life, uh, the will of God for your life is far from a checklist. Um, these commands, they also demand a change of attitude, a change of how you interact with the world, um, a change of heart. Be joyful always, he says. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So put down your pencils. No quick checking off things here. Doing anything all of the time. 
takes practice. So joy. Uh, first, joy does not equal happy. Um, God and Paul, they, they don't mean for us to just put on a happy face. Uh, remember, we're not here because we have it all together. God wants us to be real. He wants to meet us where we are. Um, and thankfully, joy is very real. Um, I would love to elaborate, um, but for today, simply, joy is found in Jesus. True joy is found in knowing Jesus, having a relationship with the one who is working to make all things new. Like me. Like you. If you don't have a relationship with God, you cannot know true joy. And if you have a relationship with God, you still need to practice turning to him first. Because so often, I think, instead of hiding in the light of true joy, and I mean in good times and in bad, we turn to relationships with other things. Um, Maybe with food, or drink, or other addictions. Even good ones, like exercise, or helping others, or being busy. Um, Maybe social media. There's lots of relationships we all have that we turn to before the relationship with the Lord. Just the other day, in fact, I was, this is a small example, but hopefully one you can relate to, I was stomping around the house in the morning trying to get myself and the girls and the dogs ready for the day, and I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to leave the house. I was cranky, tired, whatever. And all of a sudden it occurred to me. I was like, I could go to Dunkin' Donuts. That would help. I could get a coffee. You know, I could drop the girls off. I'll swing by Dunkin' Donuts. It's just like five or ten minutes out of the way, and I would definitely be late to work. But, you know, this day, this day is driving me nuts already. I just need that. That'll help. That'll get me through. And uh, that'll make me happy. And I let the promise of coffee and maybe a donut motivate me. Um, Now, don't misunderstand me. Coffee is great. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with coffee. Um, But when we let material things drive us, um, you're only going to get let down. Um, They make you happy for a time, um, but we just simply can't make or buy our own joy. It doesn't work that way. It won't last. It won't satisfy. Uh, True joy is only found in focusing our eyes on something certain. And thankfully that morning I actually remembered that. So later on in the grumping and stumping, I thought, you know, take a second. It's a beautiful day. God has provided me with a job that's so flexible and so close to my house that I love. I have wonderful friends who are willing to watch my girls over the summer. And I made my own coffee that day. Not my own joy, because God had already done it for me. Um, Betsy does this. In that first um, excerpt I wrote, when Corey sees just another hateful German soldier, and think how many they had seen at this point, months and months into their imprisonment. Corey sees that. Betsy sees a suffering soul. And she becomes overly joyful to the point of raising her voice to serve that person. Because God is present in all places, there is always something to be joyful about. So when you're having trouble, as you inevitably will, start there. Start 
practicing acknowledging the presence of God, the light in your life, and take refuge in what he is and what he has done for you. Prayer. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, right, that's practical. Um, I wouldn't be any good to anybody if I was praying all day, right? Well, I think Paul here is talking about not maybe a traditional view of prayer, where you have to be on your knees or in a church or saying the exact right words at the exact right time. Um, I think Paul is referring to a constant communication with God. Um, I love to talk, so this one's a little easier for me. But um, sharing your thoughts, fears, and feelings with the one who knows them already. Um, You know, whether you're driving to work or in the shower or cooking dinner or playing a board game with your, your child, you can be in constant communication with the Lord. Um, saying sorry, asking for wisdom, listening. This is all prayer. Uh, Like joy, true prayer stems from our relationship with the Lord. Um, So we should always be trying to align our hearts and minds with his, and we can do that by having a chat. Um, However, I think we tend to think we're too busy to pray. Um, We aren't sure how to handle a difficult situation, so we turn to to to-do lists uh, before turning to the Lord. We watch, who knows, Netflix and fail blog, and we scroll through Facebook way more than leaning on the words and wisdom that would come through time and prayer. We hide in the dark. Um, Earlier this year, my grandfather's mounting dementia took over, and it made me sad. And it makes me mad. Um, it's just not fair. It's not fair that he has to be imprisoned in this way, in his own brain. Um, that his six children have to say goodbye to, the, to their father like this. It's just, I don't like it. <laughs> um, and there's nothing anyone can do. I feel helpless, and so I tell God about it. I complain. <laughs> I simply say, it's not fair. Take it away. <laughs> and it helps. And because my young yet feeble mind, uh, still is fickle when it comes to things about faith. I actually made a bracelet (laughs) um, to help me to remember to pray, to talk to God, because I don't know what else to do, and I think that's okay. Uh, I think it's a good thing in the end. Corey doesn't know what to do. Um, Their conditions just keep going from horrible to worse, and how can they live like this? How can they get through another day Um, But Betsy knows. She doesn't forget. She's been spending her life practicing. And uh, she asks the Lord in prayer. Show us. Show us. And he answers her. With our verse. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. But thankful for fleas um, in a concentration, probably death camp, where a bunk for 400 is being used by 1,400. What would be a normal response? Normal response. Um, Swearing comes to mind. Um, Grief, anger, shock, blame. Blaming others, blaming God, um, trying to take yourself completely out of the situation, your responsibility. 
uh, in the situation, take it away, when actually we have all the responsibility. And that's to be thankful anyway. Um, even Oprah keeps a gratitude journal. When you think about it, though, being thankful is somewhat innate. Um, again, even Oprah has a gratitude journal. Many of you probably have gratitude journals. We've heard the news report before. There was a horrible fire down the street. Everything was destroyed. It was finally put out. And here's the family. How do you feel? And they're like, we are just thankful that no one was hurt. Be thankful in all circumstances. Um, I've been trying this with little things, just sort of as an experiment to practice. And uh, I think it's sometimes harder, actually, with the little things because, um, you know, they just, you could just toss them off as another negative part of life. But um, again, on the way to work one morning, this big truck, we have a four-way stop in our neighborhood, and this big truck just sped right through the four-way without stopping, just as I was about to accelerate. And, um, you know, my typical reaction is, an embarrassing one. But that day, I said out loud to myself, thank you, God, that that truck sped out in front of me. And the ridiculousness of how insignificant that event was, just, it made me smile, and I just completely let it go. Um, I think God would surprise you. He'll surprise you when you try to give thanks in all circumstances. Practice. Practice hiding in the light. This is the will of God for your life. Don't let the darkness of disappointment or anger or grief hold you back from the life God has for you. Again, like with joy and prayer, thankfulness stems from our relationship with the Lord. He is here. He is working to put all things to right. Be thankful. Betsy is often joyful, prayerful, and thankful, no matter what the circumstances, in spite of them, throughout the book. Um, she hides in the light of joy, prayer, and thankfulness reactively, without thinking. Her go-to is God. I want to be like her. Um, one day, I'll get there. Because again, we're not here because we have it all together. We are here because we need to be refined, made new, worked over by the Spirit over and over. We're here to practice, to practice being joyful always, to practice praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for us. Not to make a million babies. Not to make a million dollars. Not to serve a million meals. Not to vote Republican. Not to vote Democrat. Not to make watches or even to save lives. But to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. When you have no idea, as I know I often do, what God wants me to do or how he wants me to live my life, hide in his light by doing these things. Because you can do these things. I can do these things. We were meant to do these things. So very quickly, back to making babies. Um, we dedicated four beautiful babies this morning. 
And the most important thing we need to teach our little ones, especially in their first weeks and months of life, is that they can trust us. They can go to us for whatever they need, and we will provide. Um, they hide in our protection. And the irony is, I think someone in this congregation once mentioned to me, is that if we do our jobs well in raising children, they are supposed to grow up and not want us anymore. Um, but then what? Where do they go after that? Um, it's also our job as mature people of faith to teach the younger ones in our lives about going to God, about needing God, about hiding in his light, to teach them all of the things we just talked about. And what better way to teach than to model, to practice right alongside them, as Betsy did for Corey, and as Corey does for us, in the hiding place. Will you pray with me as I read from Psalm 91? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him. I will protect Him, for He acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Please stand for a closing benediction.